Welcome to Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Flynn and I'm here with Matt Leach. Hello, Matt. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm really good. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thank you. This, um, this episode was part of your trip up to Brisbane with the design conference. Yeah, we're about halfway through. I think we've got two more to go after this. So, yeah, right. We're, we're right in the thick of it at this point. I think it's day two. Mm-hmm. So, before we get started, I want to I talk about our sponsor, Streamtime, who's also a major sponsor of the design conference. They've been motivating and encouraging us for over two years now. At the conference, they ran a great series of breakouts. And I wanted to give a special shout out to Kristen Hewitt and Sarah Nugent, who ran a session on the last day that went into massive amounts of detail about actually designing Streamtime. Oh, that would have been awesome to see. Yeah, it was a really great session, actually, because they went into a lot of depth about the amount of work they do on the customer or, or the user experience side of things. So if you haven't checked out Streamtime yet, go to streamtime.net where you can get started for free. Yeah, definitely. Check it out. I also want to thank the Brisbane Design Conference and Matt Haynes for giving us access to their guests. One of the things I really love about this conference is that people, you know, the people they bring together, like most of them don't know each other before the conference. So they get three Mm. or four days just to hang out, talk, eat, drink, get tattoos, like all the things that you would not normally do at an industry event. And as an observer, it's really wonderful to see some of those strong friendships sort of form and the respect everyone gives each other as well. Yeah, it um, reminds me of school camp where everyone just gets to go and hang out and become best friends for three days and then and exactly. then go their separate ways. It's like school camp for adults. That's a nice Right, one. exactly. So on this episode, Prue Jones, Andy Wright and I are speaking to Amanda Manila, who's the manager and director of Wolf Ollens. She's based in San Francisco and she was out for the event. So I managed to pull two tired people in, Andy and the slightly hungover Prue. And we, we all got to chat to her. They're, those two were really wonderful to have in there because they brought a level of depth that I'm not sure we would have been able to get to without them. Andy and all his history with Interbrand, where Amanda's also worked, and then Prue mm. with her extensive knowledge about diversity in the workplace. And it's really great that because I couldn't be there, you found someone else to be hungover on the podcast, which is, <laughs> I really I really appreciate that. So thank, thanks, Prue, for waving the flag. Anyway, Amanda was amazing. She did two very different talks while she was there, one to students and one keynote. And her main talk looked at a lot of the fallout and flack they've gotten for working on some pretty high profile jobs and expanded on, you know, what the process was and how they move past those critics to make sure they're always delivering that kind of long lasting campaign. Actually, it's not a campaign. It's more of a system that they kind of design that the, that the client can keep on using and using. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most people know who Wolf Ollens are, I I assume, but I mean, they're one of the big ones for those that may not know. Um, Like they're best known for marketing and advertising, obviously huge in design and digital strategy, kind of everything, right? Yeah. I mean, the massive, massive brands like Uber, McKinsey, Orange, Skype, Spotify, Google, they, you know what they did do as well? They did the red campaign. I don't know if you know that. It's, um, it. No, I don't know that one goes towards uh, helping fighting AIDS. And so lots of different products have a red product within their range. And when you buy that, some of the proceeds of that product go towards uh, AIDS research. Oh, very cool. Do you have red stuff? I have a red iPhone, which I'm very proud of. I can't even put put a uh, case on it because I want everyone to see. (laughs) (laughs) Sad. Anyway, Amanda was amazing. We had a really great Mm. chat. We talked everything from, you know, how Amanda got into the creative industries because it's, it's not a, uh, a normal way of doing it, I guess. Uh, we talked about women in leadership roles and we even touched on, you know, the London Olympics identity, which is a, a favorite of my things to talk about. Yeah, this is such a great chat. I really enjoyed listening to this one myself. Let's jump in. So someone told me, actually you told me, because it was in your talk, yeah. that you, you're not a designer. I'm not. Outrageous. It's my secret. It's out now, though. <laughs> Should we stop now? I thought this was <laughs> yeah. right it's now. been really interesting talking to you. <laughs> I keep That's announcing it to people, and then yet they, they still invite me places. So <laughs> Do you find that, yeah, when you do like creative conferences, then everyone just assumes you're like creative director? In fact, just totally. earlier, as we were coming around the back of the stage, the girl on the radio so there's three artists coming through. I was like, yes, <laughs> I am an artist. Yeah, it's yeah. a pretty good thing to be mistaken for, right? <laughs> like, it's better, yeah. So your background, yeah. what's the journey? 
Not a straight one, not a linear one, I don't think. When I was in university, I studied politics and history, and then I uh, was thinking about going to law school, and I decided not to. And then I lived with a roommate who was going to law school, and that confirmed it. She was like, don't see what I'm doing, don't do this. I I love the way you told it in the talk as well. (laughs) What was the question? Oh, the question on the law school application was, tell us why you want to be an attorney. And literally the inner voice like screamed out, I do not. So I literally picked up the phone, called my mom and was like, I think that's a bad sign, especially, you know, for how much it costs in the States to do that. So it's a bad thing to go in debt for if you already know. Did you actually end up filling in the form though? No, I stopped. I'd taken the entrance exam and I'd done okay on it. So I was like, okay. Yeah. I was just really curious to know what you actually wrote. Why? Yeah. I think I just tore it up. I think I was done. And then I went, I went to, threw it in in a fire (laughs) dramatically and walked away. Um, I went to a staffing agency and she sort of took a look at me like a liberal arts, you know, student with, had worked like a summer camp and that was the extent (laughs) of my work experience and a retail store at that point that was going out of business. So it was really going well. And she said, I have this little place and I don't really know what they do because no one can explain it to me. But that sort of seems to be a match with whatever you're telling me. Like (laughs) whatever you've been on about, like sounds like you'd, you'd like these people. So she sent me over there and was a little uh, purpose and ideation firm is what they call themselves called Bright House. And they basically just sort of said, yeah, okay, come on. And I was just doing office managerial stuff and then started getting invited to brainstorms and meetings and decided that maybe whatever these people were called strategists was something maybe I could do. I remember my first time I was invited into a meeting. You told a story on stage about... Yeah, I got invited in and I remember trying to think of something smart and I... I don't think I could and someone was just trying to say well it needs to be something that's sort of flexible and moves across contexts and something made me think of the word basilisk which I didn't even think I knew what that was basilisk like the lizard the Jesus lizard yeah yeah Yeah, I mean it doesn't make any sense and I just sounded I'm sure like an ass but I said it because (laughs) it was the only thing I could think of but my boss was quite like into that sort of far out stuff so I just remember him being like that's it. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> it was one of those kind of, you can, you can come back next time. And I was like, oh, no. I've, what have I done? Because that was very random. It's not as though I'd like had some well-considered thought. But at the same time, it was fun, right? Because you're like, oh, this is what this is about. It's just thinking of things and, and trying to work them and make them relevant to whatever problem we're solving. Didn't know that was a job, right? Mm. And so it was, a good, it was a fun thing. So how does that lead to strategy? That company was very sort of free form. It was all about kind of going to companies and looking at internal culture and bringing out those themes and then trying to kind of put them in context of psychology or sociology. It was kind of like quite academic. I would say it probably didn't turn into real strategy until I went and joined Interbrand. And then it was like, okay, so you take all that divergent stuff, that all those influences, and then you're actually kind of try to apply them to real business problems. So it was a little like you know, putting some structure around. I I love that though, that I started on the creative side because Interbrand, as you know, um, Mm -hmm. is is much more, um, at that time at least, was much more on the analytical side that strategy was research and strategy was being able to prove things quantitatively. And I was sort of like, well, that's not how I do strategy. I think of ideas and then try to make them happen. Yeah, I was just about to say, how do you do strategy? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's always uh, that cultural piece has stuck with me. I think there is, I'm not so rigid, you know, that company I worked for first sort of thought whatever your founding idea was had to be your strategy forever. And that was the most kind of authentic place to be. I think part of that is true, but I think that's not realistic in the world we're in today with all the external forces you have to kind of account for. But I think there's a kernel of truth of that. I think it's a great place to start for creative strategy Mm. as well to say what's true about the organization and then how does that match against what users need or customers need? Because if you just go the customer kind of UX route for me, you get to a place of kind of best practice where yeah. all the apps work really yeah. well. They're all beautiful. But yeah. how do you know the difference between Cokes and Pepsis and someone yeah. else's, right? Without some part of the organization saying, oh, this is our spin on that. This is why you should come use our service or product rather than someone else's. So to me, it's always like bringing those two things together. So when you got to Interbrand. Yeah. Is that what you thought strategy was? Yeah. And is that what you think it should be now? Hmm. You mean what they were doing? Yeah. No, I thought it was all really uptight. I couldn't find people were walking around in New York wearing like suits. Mm. And I was like, oh, 
okay, this is different. We're management consultants or something where it had been like, oh, we're a creative like ideation firm mm -hmm. and that has strategy too. Um, so I thought it was weird. All of a sudden I was the creative strategist versus feeling like I was kind of the business minded person in other contexts. So I think that's the other thing is like strategy is so ill-defined. Because you also talked about it being else. quite like baton passy, right? Yeah, like totally. Totally. Strategy got to do its thinking and then passed it on. Yeah, it. it was totally a kind of waterfall linear process because I think strategists kept designers out of it a little bit or said it's you'll get your turn when we're kind of done with this bit. Um, which I think is just a lame way to work and not that fun. But I think they were, Interbrand was also changing at that time, right? They were realizing that that way of working was quite rigid. And so it wasn't like that for very long, or that was like a certain group of people, I think. Um, and the world just changed around them mm -hmm. too. So I think they had to realize that to account for kind of experience design and those kinds of ways of thinking, the strategy and the creative had to get much, much closer together. There is a good chance I've presented some of Amanda's slides <laughs> in the past, I think. <laughs> So because we had a big telecommunications client in uh, Australia and um, AT&T was one yeah. of your biggest clients. Yeah. And so obviously they always wanted to know what was happening elsewhere. Are you going to name them? I don't, well, I don't know. Oh, well, our big one in Australia. Yeah. Well, it's pretty well known. It was Telstra. Oh, um, right. But well, you know that was happening to us on the other side. It so was you were like, getting our Telstra. Oh, yeah. Maybe it was like, you, should, you guys should be doing what the guys in Australia are doing. Yeah, see. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, that's what they always said to us. They're, they're much more creative down there. Yeah. Really? Yeah. They I get mean, away with it. That's what we were told. They get away with it. They just yeah. do wild stuff. And they do yeah. crazy activations and they just don't ask permission to make the ideas No one happen. from Interbrand Global ever visited Australia. <laughs> we were too far away to really care. And then every... Oh, I'm going to get... I can't get into trouble now, can I? No. Every now and again... You're going to get um, fired from Interbrand food. I know, like, uh, <laughs> obviously I see at the time I had to go and present how the office is getting on. And so they'd give them all these templates and so basically just write what they needed to see in the templates and we would do things yeah quite quite yeah. differently um but there was there was there was especially on the strategy side i think yeah stuff that came out of the us and london that was very robust very considered and kind of did push thinking a little bit and that's what you know australian, australian clients want to see even when i went to rga they go oh can we have some of what is going on in America, please, and can you bring it over here? Yeah, it's always a little bit superficial, though. You know, yeah, you must so have kind that of to get out of Accenture and Fjord, and yeah, I kind of I'm listening to you sort of talk about it feeling stitched up and people in suits and stuff, and I think that's very much the perception mm. of Accenture, and I don't know whether it's the Accenture influence. I know mean, Fjord has always been very methodology driven mm. because that's how we do our service design, but I am feeling like frameworks and methodologies and things like that are becoming relied on as a kind of science like it's yeah we mm -hmm. have a saying trust the process like everyone has a process but um almost becoming overly reliant on it to produce good work yeah um the the process itself doesn't guarantee great results and i was just wondering what i've turned this into a question well, um, yeah, with design strategy, mm. do you do you kind of feel the same way? Like, is you know, is the art still there? I mean, this ability mm. to just do stuff that's a bit out of the box, mm. like you were talking about, Andy. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the the frameworks and the process are a starting point. I think, mm. you know, I particularly like to hire people from different backgrounds, and so I think when they come into our business, they need to know what the heck we're talking about. Mm. Like, what is this? When I say mm. we're doing a bit of brand architecture versus a value proposition versus yeah. something else. Like, what is that? How do yeah. we define it? But I think beyond that, then it's a behavioral process versus like something on paper. Because I think, yeah, I've worked at places where they were convincing clients they had some like magic brand strategy machine. Yeah. <laughs> if you just put yeah. it through this machine, yeah. then what comes out on the other side is a like, perfect, you know, yeah. unassailable strategy that yeah. you can keep for five years, but you have to follow, you know, you have to follow get in the, the magic process. machine. Yeah. But I think that that moment has kind of gone because I think that it so, has to be so much more in the client context, which is always changing. So it's not about mm. the agency anymore. And you can't really convince clients. I find, I don't know if you find this too in your experience, but you can't convince clients that you have some secret in your studio that's going to solve their problems. Mm. There was a little bit of you could potentially make more money out of yeah. strategy than when it got into creative. Yeah. Because there were, I mean, so... <laughs> the Instagram way would be to do shit tons of uh, stakeholder interviews. Yeah. You must have done hundreds and yes. hundreds of hundreds. Yes. 
and you get paid very well for doing stakeholder interviews and it's part of the process and everyone believes that yes everyone's getting a say in it so that kind of always sort of propped up didn't it like you know you'd always make quite good money on the strategy phase yeah absolutely I mean I think I I still believe in some of that stuff but much done much more smartly than Mm. sort of like wrote we need to talk to 60 people no matter if it's valuable or not I often say like let's start with a smaller amount see how they go and let's also use them to get more functional requirements out of these people versus just the sort of like if you were a plant, what kind of plant would you be? <laughs> or like getting their vision for the company or their personal background, but also like how is the strategy or brand design or whatever it is you're looking at, how's it working for your team? What do they complain about? Is it the 468 brand colors? Is it that mm. they have no sense of why they work here? Like what's the problem we're actually solving rather than just tell us your feelings? Mm. Because I think that's what we were making a lot of money off of talking to 70 people about their feelings. <laughs> Some of them were like therapy sessions sometimes. They'd be like yeah. complaining about their bosses and like this place is a <laughs> shit place to work and all these kinds of stuff. But also, yeah, but also I've been turned away from like headquarters because the person has refused to meet with me because they're convinced that you're there to do some sort of downsizing. What? Yeah, or yeah, that you're going to yeah. tell, especially old school kind of consumer packaged goods, like middle of the country, they think, oh no, if I speak to you, you know, I might get fired. And I thought, well, if I was here to do that, not speaking to me would probably be a pretty good way to get fired. <laughs> oh, this person refused to speak to me. I recommend they stay and get a promotion. <laughs> What's the key to a, to a great stakeholder interview there? After you've kind of worked out what you're going to yeah, ask. Yeah, what the problem is. I think letting them lead it a little bit. That sounds lazy, I guess. Listening to them yep. rather than just sort of going through the motions. Did you used to use that, like, that extra second of before you said anything? So they had a golden silence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm bad at that. I'm, I'm from the South. We have to fill the silence. We get too awkward. It's like, oh, they're feeling comfortable. I should say something. Yeah, sometimes it's that. But just, yeah, seeing what they want to talk about, too, as long as it's vaguely on topic um because they'll usually tell you what the problem is even if it's not the problem their boss kind of hired you to solve i think they'll often kind of confess to this is what we really deal with yes i know we need a strategy or we need this but it's really that everyone doesn't like working here or whatever the thing is so i think letting them kind of open that up a little bit is helpful so yesterday yeah you showed the jimmy kimmel (laughs) clip uh where he mocked how much money uber had spent yeah. on the design by wolf Ollins, and you know four letters and a font as he crassly said but you talked about kind of hey that's all right blah blah and the designers were quite happy yeah he made it on jimmy kimmel's saturday night live and what about uber mm. what did they say it's a great question their team's pretty laid back too they take it all in stride but i think actually we've co-presented that case with them a few times um for AIGA, the design organization in New York, um, our head of design, Forrest Young, who really led a lot of that work, um, co-presented with their their head of the brand experience team that I was talking about. And I think they're quite keen, because they were such a big part of the process, we didn't kind of go away and do it without them. They're quite keen to tell that story, too, about how we worked with internal illustrators on their team, and they were a really big part of contributing to that. So they're as kind of eager to set the record straight and talk about our partnership, I think, as we are, which helps, yeah. rather than saying, oh, shit, is, is Kimmel right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, brands... I wonder if it's a, an Uber thing, because the iteration before that also got absolutely pent, and probably rightly yeah. so. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was done internally before, right? It was. Yeah. It was a small team led by the founder, mm. and it was sort of, you know they had their vision of, of what it was going to look like and they had that, I, I don't know if you guys saw the whole bits and atoms, mm. there was like a film about it yeah. and explaining what the symbol meant and what we heard in a lot of the work we did was that the drivers, you know, they didn't know mm. what that was yeah. about and they were sort of, you know, using other things that had the Uber, some sort of Uber wordmark on it because they were like, people don't yeah. know who yeah. I am when mm. I come yeah. up and have the symbol as the trade dress on the window so I need something that says Uber so we started yeah. calling it see Uber, no Uber so yeah. I should be able to walk up to any vehicle and know exactly what I'm getting into and the driver should feel confident that they're kind of pulling up to the right, you know, curb or whatever. So I think that was a the clarity and the simplicity. If there's a critique we've heard is that the system is so simple, but that was absolutely intentional because the complexity of it wasn't doing anyone any mm. favors. Like just the complexity of Uber because obviously mm. you have those people on the ground who have those concerns, but then you also, like everything that Uber is doing about the future of 
transport, like putting that all into a symbol is almost impossible. It is. It is. And I think that was another big consideration is, um, you know, since that original project, we've worked with their, uh, the Uber Freight team and a, a lot of the other kind of functional groups that are working on what they call the kind of new modalities, which are all the ways that Uber will move things in the mm. future and, and already are to some extent. So yeah, from a business strategy point of view, it had to feel like a platform that could kind of expand as they expanded. Um, and it couldn't be about a kind of taxi ride hailing thing yeah. um, it had to be able to kind of support that and some of those things they don't they don't know know what they are yet right mm-hmm. so it had to be something that could kind of grow up with them I think after your talk um, I spoke to a student out in mm-hmm. the hall and um, they said oh it was nice to see Amanda's talk because she, she actually showed some work and I said did you get the whole strategic point and she was like oh, no I didn't quite but just that I mean how do you because it must be quite hard to sort of show what you do and and what you've done. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I nailed it. She got the whole point of it. (laughs) Um, But I I get that though, right? When people, uh, that's my, I mean, if my first dirty secret is that I'm not a designer, my second is that I don't really know what a strategist is or does. I've sadly been doing it for a number of years, but to me it's just like, I had a boss once actually at Interbrand, um, since we were talking about them in suits, I'll tell a good story, who said it's just better to be useful than important in this business. Mm-hmm. And I think that was like the best piece of advice I ever got because my job is to like part client partner, show up, show clients we get their business, get my teams to understand kind of what we're doing, what the problem is, you know, help kind of frame up that problem, help work with the design team to make sure we're kind of going um, along against the brief and that sort of thing. But it isn't something that's easily explained. You know, people, most of my family thinks I work in some sort of advertising. Like, that's fine. Um, And the design piece of it is, I think, is the product that gets out there. And I think you have to be okay with that if you're working in brand strategy with a design output. If you're working in a firm that's mostly in research or, or, um, you know, kind of just core business strategy, then you have outputs that are solely yours. But if design's part of it, you have to be comfortable with that ambiguity and just making yourself useful across that process. And I think that's when areas like what you work in, Prue, in terms of service design get really interesting because that's really the core product is sort of showing both of those things even more, I think, than graphic design is because it is mm. it is about kind of changing how an organization behaves. And that's a design yeah. process and a like strategy process. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of hard to point to as well because the outcomes yeah. can be so different. Yeah, some similarities, yeah. But I, I was going to say before, this idea of, you know, uh, creating, say, a, well, uh, refreshing the brand like Uber, mm. there has to be a kind of midway point between something that's really obvious, like you, it's a word mark, it says Uber, but there also has to be the reason why mm. it is the way it is. So the general public need to be able to see it and recognize it, but there is that part. And it's almost, sometimes I feel it's almost for the client's benefit yeah. that there is that strategy. Yeah. Like when you sell in, this is the this is the solution we've arrived at yeah. and these are the reasons why. The, I mean, the general public will never really understand that or it's not really even relevant. They won't even actually think about it. No. But it's so important for the client to kind of, you know, buy into that and be able to tell the story and get behind it internally. And there really isn't a question here. It's really more of an observation. <laughs> but it is, it's like, where, where is that point? It's like, yeah. as, as per the previous iteration of that brand, nobody got it at all. Mm. The general public didn't get it and nobody could understand it, which sort of made it a bit redundant. But yeah. It's also the danger of doing work for yourself, isn't it, really? Yeah, that's like it, That's yeah. kind of where it ends up is that you do it, you get it, you understand it. And in many cases, like selling work into clients is like helping them sell it into their boss or them just to be able to explain it at a shareholder meeting, right? Like, Mm. you know, what the hell have you done? Oh, well, it's because of this, 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 and this. And that's actually why some brands go to the extent of actually taking all of that stuff and putting it in public to Mm. kind of try and justify them themselves. But do you, like, how do you convince clients to, to kind of go beyond that and say, look, Yes, okay, you've got to have that. Yep, great. But actually, you're going to be so much more successful if we can connect you with mm. your customers. Yeah. And, and is sometimes that a bit of a yeah. struggle? I think, it, I think it was. I mean, I think in the case of Uber, it, there was absolutely a huge internal component, right? I mean, I think they, the date we were really working towards was sort of an employee launch moment. And it went 
external the same day pretty much it was a kind of flip of a switch versus a you know a rolling kind of thing but they knew that the people they first had to convince that they were changing as a company that Dara as the new CEO was taking things very seriously and investing in areas that they had maybe um, neglected a little bit before he knew he had to make that case internally first and I think um, when we decided to kind of take on this huge project that was because we also believed that they had convinced us in the initial dialogue that they were really serious about changing. And so it was absolutely partially for employees, partially mm-hmm. to speak to who would become their, their, um, you know, investors, but yeah, but they knew they had to repair the trust with customers too, with riders and drivers as their partners. And so I think it was all part of that. It was all part of that. And they had a new mission statement internally, but you're right. Most people won't get that. I mean, for them, I think we did work with um, their agency who was running a campaign in North America. So at least that was like one channel or avenue for the work to make it out immediately. Yeah. You hinted a little bit there that they kind of had to convince you Mm. of it because obviously they weren't in a great place. Yeah. Um, was what did you have some reservations around like a lot of people go uber yes please yeah but actually at the time were there reservations around whether you should take uber as a client yeah well to be fair I I would I had not started at the point we pitched the project I had not started Wolf Olin's yet but one thing that I will tell you is that Wolf Olin's always has that conversation about big new projects emails go around with with especially kind of folks in leadership and it says you know this brief came in or we've been asked to pitch for this do we think the client has the right level of ambition? Do we think um, we can have an impact? Yeah. Do we think our teams and our designers and strategists would be excited about it? So we certainly had that conversation uh, about Uber because it was, you know, no one was confused as to why this process was happening at the time it mm-hmm. did. But also our first, it wasn't actually our first project. The rebrand wasn't our first project because then we had done a bit of work with their Latin America team on employee culture and on kind of resetting Mm -hmm. the employee dynamic. And I think our team came back from that and said, not only do I think these guys are serious about what they're doing in terms of change, but they also saw the impact that the service could have in non-US, non-San Francisco markets where, you know, women who didn't feel safe getting to work can gain new employment either as a driver or just getting to a job using Uber and saw the way it was kind of solving for infrastructure and economic issues in some of these cities around the world. And they said, okay, so this isn't about just what's going at headquarters and whether there's bad behavior or, you know, this company hasn't been managed exactly the right way. This is about something much bigger. And if we can be a part of setting that on the right path, then we have to do it. And that was... That's a conversation we have a lot, which is what I love about where I am, is that that's something that people get to have a say in. And if we had felt strongly the other way, we probably wouldn't have done it. I have a big, like, strategic opinion question. <laughs> so, I did work at Interbrand, um, and I, I left. And I was kind of, I felt a little bit jaded about this, like, a selling of, mm. put the brand at the heart of your company, you know what I'm like a bullseye. Yeah, or, that's right. Putting yeah. the brand in the middle here. Yeah. And if you get that bit right, and it flows through to products and services, mm-hmm. audiences, yeah, uh, um, internal culture and environments. Mm-hmm. This is we know the slide. You're never going to work at Interbrand again. <laughs> I like. I do like still. I'm still a little bit fond of Interbrand. Oh yeah. yeah. Get on. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And they do still do great work yeah. here. But I left, and I'm like, I don't know whether I really believe in this kind of put brand because it was always so bloody hard, right? Yeah. It was. It felt like I was always trying to force, I believed it completely, 100%, but I was trying to force people to do this. And actually, it's not the way the company ran. And if you had a really, really strong marketer, maybe, but marketing just never really had the clout to be able to push that out. So do you still believe in that? And if you don't, how do you do it differently now? Yeah, okay. So this this is a day of confessions. First, I'm not a designer. Second, I don't know what strategy is. Third... I really, really have stopped asking people to do what I call do the brand Yeah. (laughs) because I don't know what I'm, I used to like think that was our job to get people to like jump on board and sign up to this like religion called brand and like believe in it and tell other people about it. Right. Like everything ended in some sort of ambassador program. (laughs) It's just a weird thing to do. It's not how companies actually work to your point, unless they are a Coca-Cola where it is about the brand and sort of perpetuating that mythology and and getting it out there. But most companies, it's like people want, the only way brand has a chance to be central is if it's actually helping people make the environments and make the products better and making their jobs easier at doing that, right? So 
now I, I love to do employee engagement work, but I always tell people right off the bat, it's not about getting these people to like buy into some idea. It's telling them that we're going to make this idea useful for what their regular job is, not give them a second night job, which is being a brand ambassador, which is me to me like someone who hands out t-shirts at like a concert fire warden (laughs) right Right. or the brand police what's the other thing right like those only two jobs in brand land brand ambassador and brand police and no one wants either one of them brand nazi (laughs) brand nazi that one's really bad yeah Yeah. so yeah i think i think we have we had to stop doing that at some point because who there's no incentive there for someone to use the brand or may put it the heart of things because it's not a real thing Back to Tea's talk, it's it's a it's a construct. Wow, mm. I mean, we, if we went into Tea's talk right now, Prue's <laughs> definitely not out. going into Tea's talk right yeah. now. I'm in no condition. <laughs> and I spent several hours talking to her about all sorts of things she didn't talk about in her talk. Mm. Um, yeah, so yeah, all of that mind blowing yeah. stuff. Mainly that's actually what your hangover's from. Right? No, we, we, <laughs> we actually it's a mental hangover. We yeah. actually mainly talked about boys. Yeah. Oh. Mm. The, the missing part of the the puzzle there is you you're obviously into brand. You you moved into strategy. How what, how did you end up in Wolf Hollands? Yeah, uh, that happened through my network. So I was spending a few months in an ad agency, which mm. uh, I kind of knew maybe wasn't for me, and then I confirmed that. Um, and at the time, um, one of my great partners at Interbrand was f- this guy, Forrest Young, who's a good friend of mine. And he had moved to SF and become the head of design in Wolf Hall and San Francisco office. So he'd been kind of calling me for a while and saying, we're doing all this crazy stuff out here in SF. You should come hang out with us. And I said, well, I'm in New York. <laughs> I don't know about all this. And so, you know, famous last words, I went out for a, what I thought was going to be a few months and... Yeah, the work was really good, and then uh, you know the the longtime managing partner there decided to step away from the business and tend to her family, and she had really, with Forrest and others, built that office up r- really just through their sheer will and um, the good work they were doing. And um, so then I took over the reins as managing director, which was a new experience, so new city, new kind of role. Yeah, that's been nearly a year. But Wolf Lawns I knew from living in London. Yeah. So living there when the t- London 2012 Olympics work came out and, and all of that, all of that chatter. So I knew of them and their reputation. It's such a wonderful one to kind of, <laughs> I'm talking about the Olympics identity. It's such a wonderful one to like explain to students exactly what we've been talking about. They're kind of like, what do you think of the, the, yeah. the logo? Yeah. And they're like, oh, I don't like it. And then you show them everything yeah. and they're like, Oh, actually, that kind of works. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, it doesn't just look like Lisa Simpson to me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, and the, the story we tell around that is really about the success of the games financially and all the business problems we were solving. And that, again, like you, like you were saying, it wasn't actually – that was one piece of it. And the mm. piece that's most prominent, of course, it's important because people are all looking at the Olympics and you have so much money being put into sponsorships and that sort of thing. But – that was just one piece of the puzzle and also tell the story about how the the Paralympics were equally important in the way we thought about that brand and that had not been really thought of in that way before it was always kind of like fix the main identity and then and then kind of translate that into the rest of the parts of the Olympic Games so yeah that's the that's the way I've heard that story but it's been fun to hear all the the memories people have on the inside of what that was like (laughs) so I think I heard yesterday you said that Wolf Olin's office heads mm. around the world now are all female. They are. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm. Has that been, do you think, a conscious effort? It's a good question. You'd have to ask Sarah, the the female CEO, because um, I guess all three of us have been a- appointed, you know, during her tenure. I think it's partially a conscious effort, but I, I am someone who always wants to be sort of careful about that because... Um, I don't think it's why we're in the roles. I think it was maybe an attractive factor. But yeah, we had a PR firm that was kind of, oh, we should put out an announcement. It should be about, you know, the future is female. And I, <laughs> I sent around an email that was like, absolutely not. Mm. Like, I, that's not what this is about. That's not why we're in these jobs. It wasn't like, let's go find some women and give them these roles. So I have quite a strong reaction to being cast that way but yeah I think it's I mean I think you know you have to be intentional with that stuff and it's not a total coincidence Mm. but at the same time I think it's important not to sort of say oh well 
you know, they've decided their leadership is going to be female, and that's that's because they're trying to do some diversity thing. Because I think we have a long way to go in other ways of diversity as well as the industry does. So I think that would let us off the hook too easily to be like, well, we're all women now, so yeah. job done. Yeah, yeah. Check. Um, yeah. I, I was just going to say, um, you know, people talk about seeing an uptick in business or that it's good for business mm. to have w- more mm. women, um, especially women in leadership. Mm. Has has there been a, has enough time passed for you to assess whether that is actually? I would love true. to have that metric under my yeah, belt. Right? I don't think I do yet. I think it's yeah. I think it's the diversity of thought piece, right? If I think about my partnership with with DeForest and the design team, I think what makes successful is having different personalities, people of different backgrounds, people of different disciplines. I think gender is part of that, especially in Silicon Valley, where the there can be still some vestiges of bro culture. Can be. Can be, are sometimes, not with any of my clients, of course. But I think it's, it's where you realize it's systemic too, because yeah. even in cultures where I hear people say things that I'm like, that is absolutely not how that should happen. I look at the person and I'm thinking that person has no intent of having said something offensive or, mm. you know, yeah. not great. Um, so you have to look elsewhere for the systems that, you know, the incentives and the way they're being managed and the kind of incentives they're getting internally and, and how the companies are growing up. And I think that's what's so interesting about being in SF is these companies were so focused on shipping product. They never had those kind of, a lot of them didn't have these kind of cultural conversations. They were just like, we have to get this thing out. We have to get it to market. We have to improve it. We have to iterate on it. And no one was sort of like, well, what kind of company should we be? Uh, really? At the same yeah. time as going, we should make the world a better place. Yeah. <laughs> but they think they do. But I think what's interesting is that I think they've all convinced themselves. I'm they painting are, them with a yeah. huge brush that the products and services will do that. And that's where I think giant corporations are undoing things and these companies haven't had time to do them yet, right. to like build those pieces and that, that infrastructure. And then they get to a certain size and they have to or they won't be able to like, keep talent and attract more experienced people into the business because they're like, oh, you don't have any of that stuff in place? Is there any end in sight? I think the more people that come into these businesses, the more it can organically change a little bit. They are starting to attract, they're growing up, I, I always say, and they are starting to attract people from, you know, if you're in a payments business and you've built up a successful startup or fintech firm, all of a sudden you may get a 20-year executive from American Express coming over because they now see it as a legitimate business that they could mm. not risk their career on um, and not just a startup that's going to, you know, hire a bunch of 25-year-old kids. So I think then that person comes in and says, well, I've been a manager before. I know how to do this. I know how to set that structure in place and starts to sort of teach other people in the business who've been kind of bootstrapping and hacking things for a while and all those terms about startups. And so I think it then starts to change because it's a professionalism, a professionalizing of the firm that happens that way. Now, then they all start to chirp that maybe their startup culture is going to be eroded, but, you know, it might happen. But there's a, so you mentioned like a, I guess a business metric. But is, is there mm. also like the type of work that's getting done changing as well, do you think, yeah. as a result? Yeah, I think that's where I think they start to chirp because they're like, oh, we're spending a lot more time on managing things and, you know, training and things like that, that if they weren't essential to the product at the beginning, we weren't spending time on. They were secondary to what our main goal was. And so. at Wolf Hollins, mm. do you have you noticed this kind of like there's a different type of work coming out? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if I know yet. I mean, I think we, as a company, one of our kind of like offerings is around learning and change and those kind of platforms and back to the conversation about employee experience, about how you make that meaningful and not sort of a brand on a t-shirt and tote bag kind of thing. But I think it's because we need to do that internally and agencies need to be able to train people up and track with those changes just like our clients do. So I think it's always an evolving area because agencies are very good at uh, telling people that sort of thing and not always great at doing it ourselves. <laughs> if there's a critique of our perfect setup, that's always the one because we're all busy doing client work, just like we're focused on our product, just like they are. Yesterday, when I was, well, was going to ask you a question on the stage and I have the word written here, is it womentor, oh. womentor? Mm. Oh, oh, like, uh, yeah. Which pronunciation is it? Just so I so I've, I've conferred with the founder uh-huh. and there's no clear answer. 
It's it's <laughs> it's, it's you in the eye be, of the beholder. Right? Okay. Because I think there's a slight concern that well, mentor is putting the emphasis on men. <gasps> no. Which you clearly we're not doing. Women tour. What? Oh. Women tour. Like women tour. Women tour. Women. I don't know. Women well, I interviewed Mirella for our podcast. Yes. <laughs> so, and we talked. About women tour. But, but then Matt came along the other night and said, "Women tour," and it was like. <laughs> The Minotaur, and that's all I've got in my head now. With like <laughs> a creature, a creature, yeah. Ooh, a like fierce to see that creature. creature. I thought I thought I was driving you here, and yeah. I thought you had a really good idea. You, you like get loads of people to say it all at once, and then we'll just kind of merge it together. <laughs> that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. crowdsource it. Well, I'll tell it. Not for logos, but maybe yeah. for pronunciations. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I confess, I know very little about it. Mm. Can you tell me yes. all about it? I can. So Morella reached out to me a few months back, just sort of randomly, I guess. I actually have never asked her how she found me and said, I'm running this thing. I've been running this program in Australia for a year or two. I think they've done two sort of cycles and I want to take it internationally. And it was all kind of very buttoned up and professional. And there was a PDF with all the descriptions and all the other people who'd signed up and the website. And she loved um, to hear that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, that's the first thing is normally you get an email. It's sort of like, I've been thinking about this thing and I don't have anything to tell you what it is. And do you want to do it? And then it's very easy to be like, "Mm, maybe next time. Um, But she sort of had the whole business case sort of laid out and said, you know, in terms of investment, it was, you know, six sessions or something like that. Um, We'll match you with someone. And I said the same thing I always say. It was, do you know I'm not a designer? (laughs) (laughs) You'll critique people's work. You'll give them feedback. And I I always, I mean, yeah, you always say, well, you know. She said, do you manage designers? Yes. Do you coach them? Yes. Do you run a design studio? Yes. Okay, great. Um, (laughs) But but yeah, it's been fantastic. I've had my first session um, gearing up for my second with a lovely woman in Canada, actually. Mm. Uh, But it's great. It's, it's, you learn a lot about yourself, even the first session, you know. Everyone loves talking about themselves. And you learn a lot because people ask you questions and force you to kind of go through, well, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. I, I was actually coaching a woman in my team at Wolf Olin's and she, I said, you know, you've gotten really good at giving like examples and meetings and continue to do that when you're telling a client, this yeah. is what I think we're solving for here. Maybe think of an example where either that's happened out in the world or we've done it on our team. And she said, yeah, you know, you're really good at that. Do you memorize, like, do you have like a set of case studies you have like memorized and I told her, no, I'm just old, and so they're all top of mind. <laughs> but it wasn't until she pointed it out that I thought, I guess I have sort of classified in my head that, oh, if we're talking about brand architecture, I'm going to talk about Johnson & Johnson. If we're yeah. talking about business strategy transformation, I'm going to talk about AT&T. And you do those sort of things, and I think it takes sometimes takes someone asking you to realize you've done yeah. them. It's not sort of like I go in, I'm like, well, I'm going to tell them about this example, and then I'm going to say this. It's not that orchestrated. And it wasn't until someone observes something you've done that you think, oh, that might be useful to someone. And I'm really bad about that. I think, oh, it's all just, you know, luck of the draw and organic. And people say, no, you tend to do this thing. And then I heard you say that and you always do it that way. What does that mean? And so trying to kind of actually extract that. And I think mentoring, that's the benefit for the mentor. It's like, you're like, oh, okay, I am actually useful. Yeah, actually, I think (laughs) talking is just the most incredible thing. I think Mill said yesterday in his talk that he doesn't know how he feels about something until it's coming out of his mouth. (laughs) And that, I think that was actually quite evident in his talk. (laughs) And I don't know, it's almost like a therapy thing, but I have a career counsellor, everyone Mm. at Accenture has a career counsellor. But this mentoring thing is like this talking, thing really brings out into the open and solidifies cements the ideas that you have about your career or the projects that you work on talking is phenomenally important and i think unless you're in that relationship where it's almost like having a work psychologist or something (laughs) like that where a mentor um how do i approach this situation um that really helps you articulate those ideas and then like you say once they're out of your mouth they're sort of like stuck in your head like oh i do that yeah and they also you know the people on your team that you're closest to also start to call you on your shit on it too i've had people say i had someone i managed years ago say i always know when you think one of my ideas is really shit because <laughs> you go, oh, great. <laughs> and you say it in the same way every time. And I know you're either not listening or you think the idea is really bad. Yeah. And because you, you, it happens. And then you become aware of those kind of sort of ticks and things you do too that are your giveaways. Yeah. yeah. There's <laughs> nothing worse there than being in one of those big meetings and you come up with something. In fact, just how I said we're mental then. And everyone went, oh, right. Okay. <laughs> what? That's one, <laughs> that's like, one way to do it. Feeling. Yeah. yeah. And it was like this. 
Yeah, and then all this tumbleweed or it's like... Yeah, and then somebody says, there's yeah. no such thing as a bad idea. <laughs> and you just know. They're just trying to make you feel better. Yeah. What's, what's the culture in the States for mentors? Because mm. I think in, in Australia, everyone agrees that, you know, mentors are important, but very few people actually um, actively kind of try and organise them. Mm. Do you think it's people won't ask for one or people don't step up to be one or a little bit of both? I mean, Andy might be able to talk more from the industry, but with students, I think it's, it's they're just terrified. Yeah. And right. we always talk about like the worst thing that can happen is, is they say no right. or, or mm. don't get back to you right. at all. Yeah. There's also like how, you know, like how do you do it? And, yeah. I, and yeah. I think sometimes there's a bit of lack of understanding around mentorship, which is yeah. that, you know, I've, I have had meetings with people and they just haven't gone very far because they come and I say, what do you want to do? And they don't know. They just want <laughs> they were to just talk waiting to them for right. the wisdom. Yeah. And it's right. like, well, then <laughs> right. we can't, we've got nothing Say to work on. Say something smart. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like yeah. we're going to be waiting a long time yeah. for that to happen. <laughs> so, yeah, so th- I think there's like, you, if you want to be mentored, you have to know what, you want, what you're going to get yes. out of it. Yes. Um, and so as a result, like even if someone's then told that, it's like, oh, well, I don't really know, so yeah. I won't do it. Yeah. I think that there, there's a couple of things there. One is I absolutely think that it's been touted so much in American culture that, you know, we tend to just have a higher tolerance for those sort of very earnest things to like, I'm going to go find myself a mentor. Um, but I don't personally, I've never sort of walked up to someone or emailed someone. There was a period of time where everyone was sort of saying that, like, reach out to a woman in your life and ask her to be your mentor. Personally, like, I probably would never do that. I would try to find a way to work up with someone on a project that mm. I thought I could learn from. But I have that same sort of, oh, that's... It feels a bit corny or yeah, yeah, weird. And what are you going to talk about? And so I think, A, yes, having something in mind that you actually want to work on. That's when I've said yes to being a mentor too. When someone says, I think you're good at this or I'm trying to work on this. I think you could help me. Would you be willing to do that? Then that's something easy to say yes to. And then you have an actual thing to, exactly what you're saying. Yeah, if it's really specific. Like actually, so some of the mental health stuff I'm working on at the moment, I've been chatting with Vince Lagana from the ECD of the Monkeys. And, you know, we originally we said, oh, can you become part of this big group with us? And he said, well, I don't really have the time. It's like, obviously. Um, but what we've been doing is just like little check-ins. And so it's very specific. It's very focused. And he's been awesome. Like, it's just amazing to sit mm. in a room and, and chat with him. And like you said earlier. And so I think sometimes just much more specificity versus... Yeah. Can you help me with my career? Is like kind yeah. of really big. It's like, well, I don't know. Yeah, Can but I that, do that? What does that mean? Yeah. But speaking of specificity, though, I mean, I think women are often drowning in opportunities to have mentorship and, mm. you know, networking events. Um, you know, I think, and a mentorship doesn't necessarily guarantee that it, you're going to progress in your career. Right. It's sponsorship. And I think that's really the next important step yeah. is just having that person there who's actively. Um, you know, because mentors are often not within your own organisation, but you need that sponsor within your workplace who can actively pull you up to the next level. They're there, they're advocating for you. So I think mentorship's important, but I think for me, I think mentorship is is like I was talking about before, is just knowing you're on the right track, giving you the confidence to like, this is how I would approach this problem or I'm having this issue, how would I tackle this? I think that that's really important. But the sponsorship thing for me, for women, is absolutely vital. I totally agree. And I feel I've, I always say I've been very lucky to have good bosses and and sponsors who have said, what are you doing? You need to be, yeah. you need to be asking for this promotion or yes. I've gone and done it on your behalf because yes. I know you ha- aren't going to do it. That's the kind of action you need. Absolutely. Now, I've tried to correct myself and say they were also recognizing that I was working really hard rather than me being like, well, I just got lucky. I was floating down a stream and they <laughs> no, plucked never, me out and never. made me a director. So, But I think that's absolutely important because if that's not your natural orientation or personality to do that, which it's not really mine, I'm... Sort of so trying to like work hard and yeah. it'll work out for you. And it has in some ways for me, but it doesn't happen for everyone. If you, especially if you have a more introverted personality. There's or a name for that. It's Tiara syndrome where what? you feel mm. like somebody's going to come along and bestow a little yeah, crown well, upon you your know, head. I guess I'm a little bit of a princess then. No, no, no I think no. I didn't make no. I mean, you know. it's but, true but, though. It's women true. Do My labor parents under absolutely that. have that attitude of like, you keep your head down, yes. you work, don't ask for too much. Does I remember I told my dad that I wasn't going to work on a project 
there was one client only one time in the five years there in a brand said there was a client that pe- some people felt was controversial to like yeah. do we want to work on this business and again the client said we really have a big change agenda and we said okay we'll do it but they made it optional for folks to work on it or mm-hmm. not and I remember I, I told my parents that and my dad was like so you're going to be fired I said oh I, I'm not going to work on this project he said well I, I've never worked somewhere that was optional that you could yeah. just be like, no thanks, I'm not going to take that. My dad was is an architect, and he was like, well then you'll just be dismissed, right? Like my parents were like preparing for me to move home and, and be homeless. <laughs> but that I think that feeds that attitude of just do the work and then you know you'll be recognized, yeah. which isn't the case, it's especially not. outside of you know certain um, socioeconomic conditions. Correct. Yeah. That brings us to time. I'm on Prue hassling the guest and calling them princess. And yeah. <laughs> no, that is not what I said. That is not what I said. I was just merely pointing out that too many women labour under the assumption, the incorrect yes. assumption, that if they work yes. hard enough, yes. someone will tap them on the shoulder and say, yeah. here's your promotion. And it's, there's so much more to it than that. Sorry, I'm going to start ranting now. Sorry. No, it, it is. Finally. Is. Yeah. Finally. <laughs> She's awake. I need another. N- no. So I think what we came to is that you're going to give me a tiara. Is that, is that it? <laughs> And might buy you a drink. Excellent. Yeah. Same thing in my world. Okay, great. If people want to find out more about you and what you're doing, yes, how can they do that? They can uh, hang out with Wolf Olins on, on the internet, on Instagram, or my Instagram is my middle name, Pilar24. That's more, I don't really post work, but if they just want to be my friend, that's probably how they can do it. We're friends now. Yeah, we're friends. We're on Instagram. Oh, we're friends. Yeah, we're friends. No, Matt. Matt. Awkward. Matt, Matt, we can have a talk about it after this. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And get involved in, in... Woman tour. <laughs> woman tour, I thought it was called. Woman, woman tour. And I think those are all the ways. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm always happy to hear from folks and, and sh- keep debating what women should be doing in the, in the workplace. Mm, absolutely. Prue, where can they find out about you? Um, I'm on Insta as well. Prudence M. Jones. Weird mix of work and things I probably shouldn't put on a work-related Instagram. Yeah, or you can just email me, prue.jones at fjordnet.com. And Andy? I've got way too many things Just going on one. Uh, at ad righty at a-d-w-r-i-g-h-t-y or at n-v-r not creative fantastic thank you so much for this thanks for having me it's really good thank you